Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Dwight Moody, Dwight Moody was um, the Billy Graham of the 1800s and uh, gifted evangelist that God used to bring thousands of people into a personal relationship with Jesus. And um, he made an interesting statement, comment about the subject that I want you to think with me about today. Here's, Here's the quote. When I was converted, I made this mistake. I thought the battle was already mine, the victory already won, the crown already in my grasp. I thought the old things had passed away, that all things had become new, and that my old corrupt nature, the old life, was gone. But I found out after serving Christ for a few months that conversion was only like enlisting in the army, that there was a battle on hand. This morning, I want to talk with you about spiritual warfare. I want us to think about that together. You know, being cruciform, having a a cross-shaped life, can have some very unexpected outcomes and aspects to it. And that, that really is the mega theme um, of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in the great Greek city of Corinth. And uh, being cruciform just simply means uh, to resemble Jesus in our actions and our attitudes, uh, being cross-shaped, that's what cruciform means. Being cross-shaped means to be loving and gracious and merciful and kind and to be a servant to others, right? Absolutely. And that's often what we think of first when we think about Jesus and his ministry. But we also learn from Paul's experience with these first followers of Jesus that being cruciform can mean at times going to war. Going to war? Yes, war. And the passages that um, in 2 Corinthians that we want to, uh, to reflect on today make that explicitly clear, even though it might sound like kind of a contradiction uh, to us. And so I want to read those passages just now and then, uh, then, then sort out how they might apply to us today. So uh, as we always do, I want you to put your eyeballs on God's Word yourself. So pull out your Bible or find the passage we're going to look at together on your phone. Um, you can use the Pew Bibles there. The numbers are up on your screen if you, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you. And um, we're going to look at Uh, uh, one passage in chapter 10 and then a few verses in chapter 13. So we're going to start off at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. And you follow along in your Bible as I read. Okay, here we go. 
By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. I'm at verse 7. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. And then if you would, um, go over to chapter 13, the last chapter in 2 Corinthians, and I want to look also include in our scripture reading verses 1 through 4. So chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Paul continues, This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning that when I was with you the second time, I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure he has crucified in, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. Okay, so from what we just read, we learned that Paul anticipated a third visit to Corinth. And um, he had some mixed feelings about it. I hope you picked up on that. Uh, he knew that there were some very thorny, difficult issues that had to get sorted out with these folk. False teachers um, had uh, arrived, and they were spouting an heretical brand of Christianity. And they had developed a lot of influence among some of these Corinthian believers. And in addition, there were some members of the church that had, were still involved in promiscuous, sinful sexual activity. And there were others who were participating in uh, activities at pagan temples that Paul said were a form of idolatry. And, and, Paul warned the Corinthians here that it might well be time to go to war. Huh. His enemies there in Corinth need to be confronted. They need to be defeated. And others uh, who had concluded that they could just live any way that they thought they could live um, needed to be disciplined. So the question is, what, what can we learn from this portion of God's word? 
how, how can we take it and apply it to our lives some 2,000 years later? Well, th- this is what occurs to me. First, there's a fact that you and I need to acknowledge and keep on acknowledging. What's that? The fact is that I'm in a war. And you're in a war. And every child of God is in a war. And that's easy to forget, but it's, a, it's, an, un, and it's an uncomfortable fact, but there it is. We're, we're so accustomed to associating our faith in Jesus with everything positive and peaceful, uh, and we can simply minimize or overlook the fact that it's not all sunshine and roses. I mean, after all, Jesus had a serious, all-out, ongoing war, so to speak, with the Jewish religious leaders throughout most of his public ministry. And, and Paul took the fact that we're in a war for granted. He didn't. He just, he just assumed it. Look what he says there in verse 3. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Now, now of course, he was using war as a metaphor, uh, but, but notice how the language that he uses here. We use mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. Well, where do you use weapons? You use it in a war. To knock down the strongholds, you, you, you often tear down or you destroy structures in a war. Of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture, capture, you often take captives in a war. Um, we, we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. You often punish rebels in a war. So Paul was pulling out all this warfare language there. And, and this wasn't about literal swords or spears or arrows back then any more than it's about literal guns or bombs today. That's not the point. But this is definitely a war. And, and you have these entities or forces uh, that are enemies of one another, and, and it's a war because there are battles that are fought, and it's a war because there are spiritual victories and defeats. And Paul, as you may know, used this metaphor often in the Bible. I mean, maybe the most familiar is what he wrote to the Ephesians. He said, "'For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies.'" but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And to his younger friend Timothy, he wrote, fight the good fight for the faith. So the the fact is, folks, that for thousands of years of human history, there has been an ongoing spiritual battle for the eternal soul's of human beings. And you know what? You don't have any choice about being in this war. Uh, you just have a choice about which side you're going to be on. Uh, you, you can't be an ob- uh, a conscientious objector in this war and just, oh, I'd just rather not fight. Sorry. Uh, and in this war, there are very real enemies, very real battles, very real victories, very real defeats. And the fact is that every soldier in Jesus's, every follower of Jesus, rather, is a soldier in his army. 
And so part and parcel of being, of being cruciform, of being cross-shaped, is acknowledging that there is a war and then fighting in it. We're all in this war, and we all have to fight. So here's the question. Do we fight well, or do we fight poorly? That's the real question. Jack Handy is a, is a comedian, and he tells the, the story of a bully who demanded his lunch money every day when he, was a, when he was a kid growing up. And because Handy was smaller than the bully, he simply, you know, gave the bully his money, his lunch money. Um, well, Handy said in his, you know, he does his little comedy act. He said, we said well, th- then I decided to fight back. I started taking karate lessons. But the instructor wanted $5 a lesson. That was a lot of money. So I found it was just cheaper to pay the bully, so I gave up karate. Now, that's, that's kind of a funny story. But, folks, you know, what, what's not funny is that many Christians, unfortunately, kind of have the same attitude when it comes to spiritual warfare. And, and this cosmic bully, Satan, and about the temptations that he sends your way and mine, you know, it's just easier to avoid the conflict and pay the bully than it is to learn how to fight him and against him. Hmm. So Paul's approach to the fact of spiritual warfare, I think it's still instructive for us 20 centuries later. Basically, it comes down to this. I must pursue peace but be ready for war. Pursue peace, but be ready for war. And when we do that, always remember that our primary task is, is, to, is to build people up, not to take people out. You know, if that's your attitude, you want, you're there to kind of take everybody out. No, no, we, we, don't, need, we don't need that. Um, Paul saw himself as a major general in God's army, but the last thing that Paul ever wanted to do was to go to war with anybody else. And he kind of intimates that there in verse 8. He says, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. You know, there's, there's nothing sort of naturally combative about Paul. I mean, he didn't just pick fights to pick them. He didn't look for trouble. After all, God had called him to be a spiritual builder, not a destroyer. And his primary task was always to love people into God's kingdom, to encourage them, to to build them up as fellow believers. And, And that should always be true of you and me. I mean, that's what we should be about. Pursue peace, but be ready for war. But that you see, that also means that that. If it's inevitable and if it's necessary, we take action. And it's clear here that Paul wanted the Corinthians to, he wanted them to clean house spiritually before he came to Corinth. So he wouldn't have to do it. I mean, the last thing that Paul wanted to do on his next visit to Corinth was to be the heavy, you know, to be the enforcer. But he was willing to do it if necessary. And he certainly understood uh, there that, that there comes a time when a difficulty has just got to be faced and you, you can no longer avoid it. And it sort of reminds us, I mean, those of us who have been parents or are parents now, uh, you know, we, we understand, folks, that, you know, to be a good parent, 
that it involves the discipline of our children. And, you know, sometimes when we're having a struggle, maybe with one of our kids, you know, you, 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 you want to, you, you've been slow to get angry, mom or dad, you're, and you still want to be compassionate and kind, but there comes that moment when you just know that you know that you know that indulging your child any further is going to damage him or her. So you lower the boom, bang, you take action, right? And you take action precisely because you do love and care about your child. And so, folks, this is an undeniable fact that we just need to accept. We are in a very real spiritual war, and we will be until Jesus returns. Okay. Now, every, every war has a battlefield where you fight the war, right? So what's the, what's the battlefield when it comes to, to spiritual warfare? And Paul gives an interesting answer here. You know what it is? He says the battlefield is my mind and your mind. Really? Yeah, my mind and your mind. Look, he doesn't use the word here, but it's really what he's talking about. He says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts, and we teach them to obey Christ. So what's, what's Paul talking about here? Folks, let's, let's just back up a little bit. Before we surrendered our lives to Jesus, our minds manufactured all kinds of arguments against God's authority in our lives. Our minds provided reasons to pridefully rebel against God, to reject his standards for, for life and living. Our mind produced a kind of a human wisdom that claimed that, well, we didn't really need God. Or we could make God in our own image, or we could make a God out of our own imagination, our own liking, and it included any and all thoughts and attitudes that, that frankly just kept us from knowing and serving and loving the one true God as we should. And the Bible says that the human mind is the great battlefield in spiritual warfare. And yeah, there may well be other battlefields in this spiritual war that we're, that we're fighting in, but we tend to overlook, frankly, the one that is right between our two ears, our mind. You know what the Bible says about this? Folks, we, we need to take this seriously. First of all, it says that Satan blinds people's minds. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that Satan hardens people's minds. But the people's minds were hardened. The same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And then the Bible implies that Satan holds people's minds hostage. And the end result is that what happens in a war? You die. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think 
your mind about sinful things. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Wow. I like the story about a young teenager who, who um, he was raised in a non-Christian home. And miracle of miracles, he, he, someone shared Jesus with him. He put his faith in Christ. And soon thereafter, he told his mother that he'd become a Christian. Well, she was alarmed. And she thought that, you know, he had joined some kind of cult. And, and she, she said to him, they brainwashed you. And I, I really like his answer. He said, Mom, if you had seen what was in my brain, you'd realize that I needed it washed. <laughs> Not a good answer. If you'd seen what was in my brain, you'd realize that it needed washing. Of course he hadn't been brainwashed. If anything, it's our surrounding culture that brainwashes us, persuading us in a thousand subtle ways that this present world is the only one there is. And folks, that, that seldom gets questioned. It's just easier to go with the flow. Well, that's what happens when you get brainwashed. And the good news about Jesus administers this sharp jolt that shines a bright light. It, it kickstarts your brain, your mind, into working properly for the first time. Yeah. Your, your mind and my mind is the intellectual center of our being. And, and that's the real battlefield. Spiritual warfare is about making our deepest thoughts and attitudes captive to Jesus through his power. And, and when we submit to the lordship of Jesus in our lives, we begin to get liberated from how Satan has held our minds in hostage, in bondage. And when we pledge allegiance to Jesus, our minds get taken over and transformation begins. And he begins to change how we think and he installs new paradigms in our minds. You know, I'm just taking an opportunity to kind of plug one of our ministries. That's regeneration. I mean, isn't this what, what regeneration does? It's, it's, it's the ministry where, we're, where you, 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 the habits and the hang-ups and the hurts that you've had in life, you, you, you let God begin to transform how you think about those. Transformation begins. And, and the Bible puts it like this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. And the end result, it's so much better uh, than its alternative. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit, but letting the Spirit control your what? Your mind leads to life and peace. Wow. So you're cruciform when you're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your mind, to win on the spiritual battlefield of what you think and how you think. So we're all out there in the war, folks. We don't have a choice about it. It's a fact. And every war has a battlefield, but Every war also has weapons, right? Yeah. 
And Paul says something interesting here about the weapons that we're supposed to use. He talks about the weapons here, which is basically another way about talking about God's armor, the armor that he gives us. And he, he, he mentions weapons here right there in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 10. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. You know, I, I got to admit that I wish right there that Paul had explained a little more about what he meant by worldly weapons specifically. What, 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 was, he, what was Paul thinking about? Well, I guess we can assume that he meant anything that, that resembles putting your trust or your confidence in yourself rather than in God. Maybe it's like, like using manipulation and lying to get your way rather than relying on the truth, like showing pride or being domineering in order to influence people so you, you get the outcome that you want to see. I, I don't know. But whatever, whatever Paul meant by worldly weapons... It likely involved underhanded, ungodly ways to, you know, gain a victory or get power over people who oppose you for some reason. Now, fortunately, even though he didn't say much about worldly weapons here, we do know what Paul meant by God's mighty weapons. And we find that information, not here, however, we find it in another letter that Paul wrote named Ephesians. And I want you to go in your Bible to that passage, because I know this is familiar to many of you, but it's wonderful and it's important for us to see this again. So I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 6 and look it up again in your Bible or on your phone or whatever. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 18, because, because there in that letter, Paul just laid them out here. He said, here, here's, here's the weapons, okay? that you need to use in this war. So, so let me begin reading at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So the list there is, is called the armor of God by Paul. And I want us to just to walk through this quickly in the time that we have remaining. He starts off, he says, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay? And I don't know whether, it, whether it's always recognized as a spiritual weapon, but I want to suggest to you that God's power and God's victory is both our first and our single greatest weapon. How so? Folks, what we need to always remember is that God has already defeated Satan. 
and his kingdom in the most decisive battle ever fought in this great war. And that battle was fought and it was won at the cross and the empty tomb 2,000 years ago. When Jesus died and when he rose again, all the powers of darkness and evil suffered a defeat from which they will never recover. And as a result, you and I are called to engage in this daily battle, this daily warfare from a place of victory, not for victory. Victory's already been won, okay? And yes, there are still very real spiritual battles that have to be fought. There's an ongoing spiritual war that needs to be fully won, but make no mistake about it. The outcome is not in doubt here. We fight from victory, not for victory. Second weapon, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. So the second one is God's truth. It protects our minds, it protects our hearts, uh, and we need to be protected against Satan's persistent lies because he tells you and me lies about God every day, lies about you, lies about others, lies about life, lies about what matters and what's truly important. So God's truth is a weapon that we use against that. Here's a third weapon. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. You know what that is? That's God's acceptance of you and me. It might be called the breastplate of righteousness in, in your Bible. And what that means, folks, is that you are accepted by God and in God because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin fully and finally, and right then and right there. And, and when you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you, God accepted you as his child forever. And, you know, here's the thing, folks. The, the world tells you that God ought to condemn you. And Satan will tell you every day that God ought to condemn you. And your conscience will tell you that God ought to condemn you. And Satan is always trying to remind you that you're unworthy of God's grace. You don't deserve God's love. Well, of course you are unworthy. We all are. We always will be. But the wonderful thing is it's not about our worthiness. But instead, it's about the worthiness of Jesus who took our place. That's God's righteousness because it results in his acceptance of you and of me. Have you ever had the experience of having a stranger, like in a restaurant or whatever, just pick up the tab for your meal? I've never had that happen to me. Okay, but I was reading about a pastor and his, and his two family members who were finishing up a meal at a cafe, and the waitress, you know, she, she brought over the check, and she smiled, and she said, uh, you know, somebody in the restaurant just paid for your meal. You're all set. And then she walked away. And the pastor said that he had this, he had the strangest feeling just sitting there <laughs> at <that> cafe, <laughs> I mean, and you know what the feeling was? The feeling was helplessness. I mean, there, there was just nothing he could do. It had been taken care of. And to insist on paying his bill, well, that would have been pointless. All he had to do was to trust 
that what she said, the waitress said, was actually true, and then live into that, which meant getting up, leaving the restaurant, and getting on with his day. And his acceptance of what she said gave him a choice. Either he could live like it was true, or he could create his own reality in which the bill wasn't paid. And folks, when it comes to this whole thing of spiritual warfare, a powerful weapon is the knowledge that we don't owe anything anymore because Jesus paid the debt. And it's, it's trust that something is already true about us and something has already been done for us. It's trusting that grace has paid the bill in your life and in mine. A fourth weapon. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now, that one's a little obscure. I'll give you that. Um, Paul is talking about the foundation of God's salvation message itself. And, you know, it's sort of the idea that what, whatever you put on your feet is like the foundation or the basis of your life. And so you, you and I need to wake up every day standing in the truth of what God has done for us. So, friend, are, are you discouraged today? Are you anxious? Are you feeling overwhelmed by temptation? I, I want you to consciously and prayerfully remind yourself that if God is for us, who can ever be against us? A fifth weapon. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. My faith in God's protection and plan that's a, that's a weapon, folks. You know, a shield, it, it's meant to get dented. It's meant to get battered. It's meant to get hammered on. And, and your faith and my faith is going to get tested in life. And Satan is going to fire plenty of arrows at us. Disappointment, broken relationships, chronic illness, doubts, failures. That, that's just a few of them. He's got a lot more. Keep holding on to Jesus and what he has done for you and what he says about you. God can use your faith as a shield, as a shield to protect you from the arrows and the blows that Satan intends to destroy you. Weapon number six, put on salvation as your helmet. Uh, this brings us back, you know, to the battlefield of the mind, doesn't it? Keep and maintain a godly mental perspective that's consistent with God's word. Folks, it's a powerful weapon. Again, folks, the devil's favorite target is your mind and my mind. If Satan can get us thinking incorrect thoughts about God, about ourselves, about how to be right with God, about life, uh, he's, he's got you right where he wants you. And, and what you think about God, I've said this before and I believe with all my heart, Whatever you think about God is the most important thing about you. Whatever you think about God is the most important thing about you. It determines your whole life. Weapon number seven. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Folks, if you're, gonna, if you're going to think rightly about God, you need to increase your knowledge of this book. Okay? God's Word. Get into this book regularly, often. Marinate in it. Study it with others. Get into a Bible class. 
Uh, join a triad, one of our discipleship triads. Get into a small group. It's going to protect and preserve you when you're in the thick of life's battles, God's word. Weapon number eight, pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers and, and uh, for all believers everywhere. And so prevailing and persistent prayer is a great weapon. Prayers like all the, all the hooks, the straps, the buckles that holds all that spiritual armor together. It's through our prayers that God's will gets done here on earth, even as it is in heaven. Prayer reminds us of our absolute dependence on God, and persistent prayer makes us sensitive and alert to the devil's attacks. Prevailing prayer releases the power of God into our lives and into our church. Folks, I, I want to challenge us as a congregation. We can do better in this area of prayer. You know, we have a weekly prayer gathering. I'm impressed with the people that come out. I'm not impressed with the number of people that come out. We meet in the lounge. And frankly, that room should be so full that we ought to have to meet in another room in the church of people who gather to pray. We've got a pastoral search team that needs our prayers. We're still trying to figure out how to do life and ministry during this pandemic. And we need prayer. We need to pray. And we need to get better at this using this spiritual weapon called prayer. We're not where we should be as a church. We're not. Let me mention a, a ninth weapon that's suggested back in 2 Corinthians. Now, I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and the kindness of Christ. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We, too, are weak just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. You see, ironically, humility and gentleness or, or Jesus' brand of weakness are powerful weapons in spiritual warfare. Jesus became weak, so to speak, at the cross. But by it, God conquered Satan completely and forever. You know, just a reminder, folks, Greco-Roman culture in the first century despised humility. <clears throat> and, I mean, they just had no use for it. And because they were still more Corinthian than Christian, Paul's enemies regarded humility as a weakness, not as a strength. And so what was, what was Paul's defense? Well, he, he was just being like Jesus, whose humility, whose gentleness, his weakness was made powerful in the hands of God. So, folks, there's, there's at least nine weapons that you and I can use every day as we fight in Jesus' army. Probably more, but is nine a good start? Amen? All right. You know, um, sometimes missionaries tell some great stories about their exploits and their experiences on the mission field. That's a, that's a great picture, isn't it? Snake with a severed head. Let me tell you this story. This was a story that was told by a young missionary couple. 
See, they were stationed out in the jungle somewhere, tropical jungle area. They were living on a mission sta uh, station out in um, this part of the world. And um, one day, an enormous snake, I don't think it was this one, but an enormous snake, much longer than any man, slithered in through the front door and into their kitchen. Oh, and they saw it coming, and they went the other way very, very quickly. And they, you know, they'd never seen anything like this in the United States. So they began running around trying to find a neighbor who knew what to do in this kind of a situation. Well, there was a neighbor who very calmly just brought in his machete, walked into their simple little home, and with one chop, took off the head of the snake. And then he went back out and triumphantly told this missionary couple that the snake had been killed and that it's going to be okay. Solve the problem, right? Well, not exactly. Um, he explained to them that it might take a few hours for the snake to realize that it was dead. What? Yeah. There, there's, I, I, there's something about a snake's neurology or its blood flow or whatever that its body will continue to thrash around and move around after its head has been separated from its body. In fact, I was reading this week that a snake that has its head cut off can still bite you and inject poison into you. Isn't that something? So here's this missionary couple. <laughs> they're, 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 out, they're still outside their house. You know, it's hot. They're sweating. They're anxious. Frankly, they're a little bit nauseous about all this experience that they've been through. And they begin to hear what's happening in their house. This snake is thrashing around. It's, it's, it's literally smashing their furniture to bits. It's, it's throwing its body up against the walls and the windows of, of their home. And it did this for hours before it finally figured out it was dead. But you know, as they were living through this experience, it was like God gave them both an epiphany at the same time. It's like the Holy Spirit said into their spirit, that's a picture of the devil. That's, that's a picture of the devil right there. You see, at the cross, Jesus took off his head. He just doesn't realize he's dead yet. And for 2,000 years and for however long the Lord tarries, he's going to thrash and he's going to throw himself around. And you know what? He can be very destructive. He can still be very destructive. He can cause all kinds of damage in my life, your life, and the lives of other people. But you and I need to remember that he is a defeated enemy because at the cross and at the empty tomb, Jesus crushed the serpent's head. 
Are you cruciform? Do you have a cross-shaped life? That means living with the truth every day that we're in a war. And we will be until Jesus returns. It means that we recognize that there's a battlefield. And the most important one is the one between your two ears. Because that's where Satan attacks. He attacks our minds. And we need to be asking the Holy Spirit every day to transform our minds and the way that we think. Okay? And then being cruciform also means that we're learning how to use the mighty weapons that God has put at our disposal. Let's pray. Father, um, maybe it's not a pleasant thought to be reminded that we're in a war, but in your kindness and your love and your grace, you remind us of that. Your word is very faithful to do that, and we've been reminded of that this morning, that until Jesus returns, there's this war going on, and so we, um, we hear that, Lord. We receive that. And, Father, we ask help in this battle that goes on in our mind every day, every, every moment that we're awake. And we ask, Lord, that we would learn how to let your Holy Spirit transform our minds and learn how to use the weapons that you have put at our disposal each and every day. So, Lord, we thank you for this. And, Lord, it's just another aspect of being cruciform, of having a cross-shaped life. Help us to live into this aspect, spiritual warfare, and what it means for us as your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.